Good afternoon and good evening to everyone. My name is Dave Frankowski and I'll be your moderator for today's class. And welcome to another lecture given by the Oceanside California class. This is a school and not a church. Neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh our Elohim and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given unto our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley in the state of Ohio in the year of 1931. We were incorporated in the state of California in the year of 1958, and we hold classes in the United States and in various other countries. The Oceanside class was established in 1994. At this time, I'd like to introduce to you the Dean of the Oceanside class, Dr. Dennis Volpe, and the President, Dr. Carl Emler. Now in this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title for the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The correct name for our Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The correct title for the Word or Son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. And the correct name of the Holy Spirit manifest in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles and they are not names. The Apostle Paul filled with the Holy Spirit tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and there are God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike the titles of Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. It's a divine title because it's the title that our creator has chosen for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. And a minor investigation on your part into a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew, the Greek, nor the Latin languages have any letters or characters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that's made by the letter J. Neither was there a letter J in our own English language until some 1400 years after the death of the Messiah, which would make such names as Jesus and Jehovah impossible renderings for the true name of our Father and His Son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Yahweh is pure spirit, and in this state, he is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and bounds of everything that exists. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state, symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We've drawn this cloud to extend all around the edges of this chart to show 
that everything on the chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh, knowing that man could not perceive of him in his pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Yahweh Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being, that is, having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. This form could only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelation. Later on, this self-same spirit manifests himself in a physical body, and he walked the earth plane as Yahshua the Messiah, who the whole world calls Jesus Christ. Now there's only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So a simple yet intelligent question that we should ask ourselves is, what did they call the Savior when he walked the earth plane? And a further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface to the Holy Name Bible. Also in this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It's the divine pattern because it's Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he called Moses on top of Mount Sinai, and he showed him this threefold tabernacle pattern in a vision. Later on, Yahweh instructed Moses to build one in the wilderness of Sinai, exactly like the one he had seen in his vision on the mount. The tabernacle pattern is a threefold pattern consisting of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and it operates according to the structure and the function of this threefold tabernacle pattern, and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. The school has 10 primary constitutional objectives and aims, and they are as follows. One, to help you find and know Yahweh our Elohim as he really is and actually exists. Two, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah, without distinction of race, nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Three, to investigate the unexplained spirit law, or so-called law of nature, and the powers latent in man. Four, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, modern, practical, and occult science. Five, to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Six, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seven, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eight, to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith, which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Nine, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained. There is no other name given among men, whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua the Messiah. 
and 10, to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace and our slogan is speak the truth. We'll begin this afternoon with a prayer by Dr. Frank DeMassey from our Syracuse class. And we'll have a scripture read, which will be 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 35 through 58. And that'll be read by Dr. Peg Trevison from our Syracuse class. Good afternoon and good evening to everyone. May we please all bow our hearts and minds. Let's try and get all the thoughts of the flesh out of our heads. And let's get in that special place where we can communicate with our Heavenly Father. Dear Father Yahweh, allow each and every one of us to truly come to realize and appreciate the gift of grace that's been bestowed upon us. Make us realize how fortunate we are that we've been pulled out of a world of chaos and been allowed to have your attributes implanted right within us and change our nature and allow us the wisdom to know that it wasn't us that did it. It's just your purpose and your will and through the power of that great name of Yahshua. Allow us patience and love and courage in these times where we can always never have a time where we can't present this gospel to any ear that will hear it in hopes that they'll go from death unto life and that you may be glorified. May we always be thankful for what we know and prove everything. We ask this in your son's name of Yahshua. May we all say hallelujah. Hallelujah. First Corinthians 15, starting at verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But Yahweh giveth the body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the ruler from heaven. 
as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and as the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Yahweh, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The, sin, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to Yahweh, which giveth the victory through our master, Yahshua Messiah. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of Yahweh, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in Yahshua Messiah. Thank you, Dr. Trevison and Dr. Damasi. And our scripture readers this afternoon will be Dr. Sean Hudgenwardle from our Ontario class and Dr. Deb Cometti from our Syracuse class. And this afternoon, we're going to have a two-speaker format, each speaker getting approximately half the class. And our first speaker this afternoon will be Dr. Greg Prestis from our Ithaca class. Uh, good afternoon. Good evening to everyone. Hey, Greg. Uh, thank you uh, very much for this opportunity. Uh, this is a, a perfect scripture reading for this. It's something that's been on my mind for a while. Um, we touched on it a little bit in the Syracuse class this past Wednesday. And uh, Dennis has graciously given me the time to try to... Uh, bring out a few more details. And I mean, as we all know, when we see these things, um, we can find them astounding. And yet when you share them with someone, it doesn't always have the same effect. And we realize that um, we need a revelation. What we're looking for here is to realize the activity of the spirit. Uh, this is not a science class. It's not a Bible class. Um, in fact, when people you know, ask, like, what is that class all about? Uh, if they're religious people, we might say that it's a Bible class. Um, if, uh, if they're not religious people, you know, we might say that it's uh, metaphysics or biblical metaphysics. But um, you know, what it really is, is this is, the revelation of Yahweh's purpose that was revealed to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, by vision and revelation. And uh, he, he formed a school which he called the Institute of Divine Metaphysical Research. And so really what this class is, is it's divine biblical metaphysics. 
it is metaphysical. And um, I think the standard definition for metaphysics is um, a division of philosophy that's concerned with the fundamental nature of reality and being that includes uh, various other branches of philosophy, ontology, cosmology, and often epistemology. But what we've come to learn is that uh, really divine metaphysics is summed up uh, in Romans 1, 19 and 20. So could we get that please? Romans 119, because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, when we talk about God, creator, uh, as the moderator explained already, um, God has a name and his name uh, he revealed to Moses as Yahweh. Uh, we're talking about things that you can't put your hands on, you can't put your eyes on, you can't touch them, you can't smell them, you can't hear them. Uh, we're talking about invisible things. And truthfully, what divine metaphysics is, is the understanding, not simply that there is a, a spiritual world beyond the physical world, but it's actually what Paul is stating here, that the very structure and function and operation and nature of the things that exist in the physical world are an exact uh, reflection or are designed and structured the way that they are in order to reveal spiritual things. And, um, you know, one example of that, which we use all the time is man being made in the likeness and image of Elohim by the pattern of the tabernacle. Um, and then we find out that Yahweh told the children of Israel, uh, when he brought them out into the wilderness, he told Moses to have them build him a sanctuary. And that's that threefold tabernacle that the moderators already explained to us. And then we find out that that tabernacle um, is by its structure and function uh, reveals the structure and function of the physical body. And so through that, we find out that the tabernacle of man is a tabernacle and it has the same function as the tabernacle in the wilderness is as a, a house for the spirit or so that Yahweh may dwell among them. And then we see how uh, again, as the moderator explained, Yahweh Elohim came into the world, manifested himself as a man, and um, that was Yahweh Elohim, that was the personification of the Holy Spirit in a physical body. And so truthfully, 
just as that cloud filled this tabernacle in the wilderness, the Holy Spirit filled the tabernacle of this man, Yahshua, the Messiah. Now, um, there's always a danger for me to get trapped in the preliminary, so I'm going to try to jump right into this uh, because time will go fast. Now, um, if we go to the scripture reading, um, it's a perfect example of, of what I'm trying to say here. Um, let's see, let's just pick it up. Um, Verse 42. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Now I'm going to be it interrupting is, you. And if you could just sort of remember where it was when I interrupted you and pick up where I left off, we can uh, expedite this a little bit. So the resurrection of the dead, um, you might call that a controversial topic. Uh, if you're a church person, you might believe there's a resurrection of the dead. Um, although many, uh, many church people believe that it's a, a, a literal physical resurrection and that you just come, yeah, God's going to at some point, Jesus is going to come back and bring you out of the tomb and there you're going to be a physical human being on earth. And uh, other people don't believe that. Now, um, applying metaphysics to this subject is going to allow us to understand the whys and the wherefores of how Yahweh is operating his spiritual or his invis invisible purpose. So we're discussing the resurrection of the dead. Now, another thing we have to bear in mind is that um, again, as introduced in Romans 1, 19 and 20, that the physical is revealing the spiritual. So there is a physical and there is a spiritual. Now, if we um, just take a quick look at the operation of Yahweh's purpose in time, we find out that uh, at, Eve was deceived by the serpent. She transgressed the commandment not to touch the tree. Adam uh, willingly partook of her transgression because of his love for her. And um, they were condemned in their conscience because of their transgression. Now, as it's shown here, in Adam, all die. Now, um, Yahweh had told Adam that in the day that you uh, eat of the fruit, you will die. And then we read in the Bible <clears throat> that Adam lived for 930 years. And without an understanding, um, this is why a lot of people, they take a stab at the Bible, read a few things, it makes no sense, and they put it on the shelf and it becomes a dust collector. But there's a twofold, there's always, with Yahweh's purpose, there's always a twofold operation going on. There's a spiritual operation that's taking place within or behind the veil of this physical existence. So uh, what we've come to understand is that Adam oh, and Eve, when they touched that fruit, when they disobeyed that commandment, they knew that they were being disobedient. And they instantaneously died 
uh, in their conscience or were condemned in their conscience. And then we see the second age characterized as the age of conscience. And specifically, um, the conscience was condemned. And then we read that Yahweh waited until the cool of the day to cast, the, cast Adam out of the garden. And because Eve was in Adam when he was placed in the garden, she followed Adam when he was cast out of the garden. And that brings us over into this uh, antediluvian age, which is the second age relative to the creative age. But this is our first indication of time. This is where we begin counting time. And so then 930 years later, and we do find in uh, Psalms and in Peter that a day with Yahweh is considered as a thousand years and a thousand years can be considered as a day. So Adam dying within that 930 years physically and the dust which was taken from the earth to form Adam and animated by that breath of life, then the breath of life leaves that body, it's placed back into the ground and it returns unto the dust wherewith it came. So that physical death that Adam experienced was a, a reflection of the spiritual death that he died the instant that he transgressed. Now, um, when it says here in Adam all die, and it, uh, it goes further to say in Yahshua, all men are made alive. See, this is describing a single night and a single day that is operating in the purpose of Yahweh. That's a spiritual night. That condemnation, that um, inner man being dead, that's the nighttime. And then from Adam through until Yahshua, all had sinned, all had fallen short of the glory of Yahweh. There is none righteous, no, not one. So this operation with Adam, this operation with Noah, this operation with Abraham and Melchizedek, the operation with Moses and the establishment of the old covenant, all that is taking place within the night, spiritually. And then it's only in Yahshua that we have a resurrection or that we have a resurrection uh, of the sun. And then that brings us into the day. And so we have a spiritual night and a spiritual day. Now, this resurrection of the dead, somebody thinks of it in physical terms, but really what it's talking about is uh, a spiritual resurrection. Because we find out that Yahshua, when he resurrected from the tomb, he resurrected a, a quickening spirit. And um, he disappeared and appeared. And while the world thinks he resurrected a physical body, um, he did not. He resurrected a quickening spirit. And he appeared in visions um, to the disciples. And then he ascended here. And you read about that in Acts, the first chapter. And then on um, the day of Pentecost, he returned into the hearts and the minds of the disciples. And that is when they were resurrected spiritually from the night that they had inherited from Adam. Now, since Yahshua, and this is something I don't have, not going to dwell on, but 
Um, another thing that we see when we look at this is that Yahshua is, uh, he's the atonement where you had in the law, you had the Passover lamb that had to be slain and the four points of blood that had to be put on the door. And in order for Israel to be delivered from death and to resurrect in the wilderness. And then you had um, the daily operation of the tabernacle where you had uh, every evening and every morning there was a lamb slain and the blood of that lamb was put on that altar. So the four points of blood of the lamb on the altar is showing you the four points of blood of the lamb on the door, both cases an animal, innocent sacrifice dying so that the children of Israel could live, the lamb being offered up in atonement for the sins of Israel, which culminated on the day of atonement when they were released from their sin, all of which pointing to Yahshua the Messiah being the Lamb of Yahweh and his blood atoning for the Adamic transgression. And so um, what we come to understand is that death reigned from Adam to Moses, and then the law made sin more exceedingly sinful. And then Yahshua atoned for that Adamic transgression. And so that since the day of Pentecost, anyone who receives that spirit is born of the spirit, is illuminated by the spirit, and enters into the spiritual day while yet and still they're walking on the earth. Um, and we're still uh, manifest in this realm of time. Now, verse 42 again, please. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So from it Adam down to Yahshua, mankind was corrupted through that Adamic transgression and through the operation of that mystery of iniquity. And then in Yahshua, mankind is raised in incorruption. But that incorruption that he's raised in is not manifest materially. It's manifest in the resurrection and the incorruption, the restoration of the conscience and mankind being once again um, at one with Yahweh in his heart and in his mind through the operation of the Holy Spirit, which is operating by grace through faith, and it's a gift. And it's not anything that's a result of any work of righteousness or any carnal endeavor that you can do. Now, continue, please. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Okay. And then this is where it becomes important to keep the physical and the spiritual in mind at all times. And this is where, uh, I mean, repeatedly we come to areas where people just uh, confuse the physical with the spiritual. Now, since Pentecost, any individual 
with the Holy Spirit residing in his heart and mind is residing within a spiritual day relative to their conscience, relative to their understanding, relative to their heart, relative to what we refer to as our soul. That we've been delivered from the condemnation that was in our conscience through sin. And uh, even though Yahshua atoned for the Adamic transgression, uh, we were born in innocence, free of what the Catholic Church calls original sin. But as the scriptures say, all have sinned. And all of us, uh, I've never come across anyone who claimed exemption to the fact that he had or she had, hadn't done something that was contrary to some law or something they'd been told or something they believed uh, was wrong. So just as Adam sinned and died in his conscience, we've all sinned and died in our conscience. And just as it was the work and the action of Yahshua to redeem this whole, everyone from Adam on down, um, to redeem them from sin and to redeem them from condemnation. And those are the ones, souls that resurrected here uh, after Yahshua's resurrection. So also through the preaching of the gospel, just as Yahshua entered into the tomb, uh, into the grave and preached deliverance to those souls from Adam on down to John the Baptist who had died and were captives in the grave, through the preaching of the gospel, Yahshua enters into our heart, and if it's mixed with faith, if we're given the spirit to believe it, if we're given the heart to love the truth, then we're resurrected in our heart and in our mind. And so we're raised in um, power. And the thing that we have to remember, and there are scriptures for all of this, but you know, see, time is already flying by. Um, we have this treasure or this Holy Spirit in earthen vessels. We are still, from the outward appearance, we are still physical. We're still living in this mortal body. We are still operating through the corruptible flesh. Now, we have an incorruptible spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in our heart, and that delivers us from death. And so we've been raised again in the spirit and we will never die in the spirit. But this flesh, it came from the ground and it returns to the ground. And what we're looking forward to is the entrance into immortality. And that's what the scripture is discussing is this transition uh, and how there is a natural and there is a spiritual. And what we're trying to do today is just take some things that are in the physical creation and look at them a little bit and see how they're showing forth this spiritual operation. And it's not until the end of this present age that we're in. And as long as we're counting time, as long as the sun is rising and setting, as long as our bodies are subject to gravity, as long as we're eating and as long as we're sleeping, no rational person could can claim that they're, they're immortal because immortality is a freedom from mortality and all those physical things represent mortality. So we're coming up right against the end of this um, 
veil here, if you put the three ages of time into the holy place, and while the veil is removed in Yahshua through the operation of the Holy Spirit, and that's what it means, our understanding is illuminated, and we can see into the ages yet to come. We can see spiritually into the purpose of Yahweh. We're not there in our bodies. We're still looking through uh, a glass darkly. We're still looking through the veil. We have not crossed over. And so the crossing over that we're looking at in this context is uh, the, the universal revelation of Yahshua the Messiah. Uh, and then the uh, dissolution and the dissolving of the earth and the immortality being revealed in the new earth state. And so the focus of this class, I hope, is, is what is a witness and a phenomenal witness that Yahweh has placed in the physical creation to show forth uh, the, these principles and this transformation and development, operation in one age, operation in the flesh, the presence of something in the physical that portends to the spiritual. And then the finally, the, the, re the, the revelation and the revealing and the seeing and the um, realization of that which is to come, which is an immor immortality. And this is an incorporeal existence. Um, just like the angels were incorporeal. But you have to understand Yahweh has a purpose. And as he's moving through these seven ages, and as he's moving through his operations in time, there's a steady increase in illumination and in revelation. And so we're looking at the age next, the next age, to be when that light and that immortality of the spirit that we're experiencing now the earnest of our inheritance which is the holy spirit being in us now and then we don't get possession until the next age and this is an age that's referred to uh as immortal glorification in the new earth state now um if we go to the physical creation and again this is um coming from Romans 119 and 20 and Psalms of heavens declare the glory of El. See, we have an understanding in this class and we're just so blessed and so gifted to understand that the physical exists and it's real. I mean, you have people who think they're spiritual and think that there's no physical and that it's all a dream. And it's amazing that the thoughts and the ideas you'll find in the world we understand that the physical is real as far as it goes, but we understand that it's temporary and that its purpose is to reveal the spiritual. So um, specifically what I wanna focus on is the metamorphosis of the monarch butterfly. And um, there's, you know, as long as I can remember, uh, in this class, uh, and I remember with Burbank Mitchell, he often would teach about imaginal discs and how even this little worm-like thing called the larva or the caterpillar 
possessed latent butterfly cells, but it goes through a process and um, it spends a period of time on the earth as uh, a worm or a um, caterpillar because it has legs and it has uh, eyes and it has it's a lot more uh, developed but still um, it then it enters into the pupa or the chrysalis and goes undergoes that process of metamorphosis and um, it's actually changed from a caterpillar to a butterfly. And as a butterfly, this is a type, it emerges as a heavenly creature and it's able to fly around. Now, and, and it doesn't eat, it doesn't eat leaves, it doesn't eat milkweed, it sips nectar from flowers. And it doesn't just crawl around on a little patch of earth and look for milkweed plants. Actually, these butterflies can fly thousands of miles because they perform a yearly migration and they'll migrate from Mexico to Canada and back. And so it's a phenomenal transformation that goes forth. Now, if you would read verse 44 again. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So there is. I don't think it's too much of a stretch. And I want to be clear because when we, when we take the physical to understand the spiritual, we correlate it by the pattern. And there's different things that we can focus on. And there's times when we can arrange things in a different way, depending on the principles that we're focused on. So if you go back in your mind to the, the, the ages chart, what I'm correlating the butterfly to is the uh, age to come. And again, uh, that puts us while we're in the flesh, we're in the, the that makes this caterpillar representative of the, the us being sown in corruption. And then um, it enters into the pupa, it undergoes a complete change, and then it emerges as a butterfly. And that's being raised in incorruption. So this process I've discussed of us living in the flesh and living in the world, coming to class, Yahshua revealing things to us, Yahshua taking on shape and form in us. We have Peter talking about becoming partakers of the divine nature. We have all these things going on invisibly within us. The caterpillar is representative of that stage. And then likewise, the caterpillar enters into the pupa and um, in the physical world, things are working in a very linear uh, deterministic way. But if you take this veil between the holy place and the most holy place as the end of this age, it's not until the, uh, the, the creature, which has become a butterfly emerges from the chrysalis that it's manifest fully. And so um, what I'd like you to consider is you take our time in the flesh is represented by this larva up to and including the pupa, which is really the chrysalis emerging is really the sixth metamorphosis of this thing. 
It has five different bodies that it goes through, five different instars as a, a larva or a caterpillar. And then when that fifth instar goes through, what emerges from that is the chrysalis and it just hangs there. Now, I'm going to take the time because I'm the first speaker and all of these spiritual principles can be, uh, you know, will be worked with further in the class, I'm sure. Um, I just, just to put this in perspective, I just want to show this video. Uh, it's only um, two minutes. After hatching, the tiny caterpillar begins eating its eggshell. Now, can you all hear the, the video? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll let the guy talk then. Then it makes small holes in the milkweed leaves. There are five separate larval stages called instars. At normal summer temperatures, the first instar larva takes about three days to develop to the second instar. As the caterpillar grows and its skin tightens, it forms a new, bigger skin inside the old one. Then the larva sheds the old skin, or molts, to become the next instar. As the caterpillar changes instars, it develops striking black, yellow, and white stripes and movable tentacles that advertise to its enemies that it is bitter tasting. During the course of the caterpillar's development, its weight increases nearly 3,000 times, and it eats nearly 16,000 times its own weight in leaves. Milkweed leaves contain bitter substances that the caterpillar stores in its body and uses to discourage birds and mice from eating it. After about two weeks, the two-inch-long caterpillar stops eating. It is now ready for the next stage of its metamorphosis the chrysalis stage. Now it becomes restless and wanders around for a few hours in search of shelter from the scorching sun and rain. Once it finds the right spot, the caterpillar uses a tiny tube on its mouth called a spinneret to spin a silk button. Next, it turns around and attaches hooks, which are on its hind legs, to the silk button. And then it lets go with all its other legs. It now hangs upside down, forming the shape of the letter J. Okay. So that is that one. Um, so I think you can see that it uh, it grows immensely, and it said I think six, it eats sixteen thousand times its weight in 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 milk milkweed. Now um, it's over there in is it Peter Desiree the sincere milk of the word? Yeah, of uh, uh, First Peter two. Uh, let's read that. Peter 2 and 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, 
as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it. If so be ye have trusted that Yahshua is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of Yahweh and precious. Okay, so uh, well, I'll tell you what, go through four. I just read four. Ah, okay. Okay. Okay, good. Um, so here we are, we just saw that larva and this is what the thing that really floored me is that in addition to growing, uh, however many times it says that it grows, and all this is all that the the caterpillar eats is milkweed, and so you see Peter here desire ye the sincere milk of the word. We feed on the gospel, and you see sometimes we get into these. Um, discussions, I'll put it that way, as to, um, I mean, we have our, our, our stepbrethren in LA telling us you don't, there's no need to study, you can't, um, you know, the no need to preach the gospel because there's nothing you can do to be saved. Um, and we've already covered, there's no works you can perform but this, the one job that this caterpillar has through most of its life is to eat. And then the second job that it has is to find a sheltered place where it can hang itself on a hook. And essentially its life as a caterpillar is over, but then this transformation goes on in the chrysalis. So now what I wanna show you now actually comes from research that they've done with the fruit fly. And this article was, was sent out um, after the Wednesday class. Uh, and what I've done here is I've just um, snipped a bit of it that I wanna focus on to try to keep myself from being distracted. And so in the, all of this works pretty much you know, the same with insects. It's just, there's gonna be variations. And because monarchs are valued more than flies, they haven't, um, you know, slaughtered thousands of, of butterflies the way they've slaughtered thousands of flies and dissected them at all these different stages. So I just wanna go through this and I'm just gonna read the highlighted parts to uh, expedite time. Uh, I'm gonna end at, um, Let's see what, if I end at uh, five after, six after, I think I'll be right on schedule. So- That's um, good, Greg. Very good. So how many imaginal discs does a fly have? And this is what blew me away. There are 19 discs, okay, which didn't mean anything to me. The epidermis of the head, thorax, and limbs of the fly come from nine bilateral pairs of discs and the genitalia come from a medial disc. And so you see it's shown here, you have three discs that form the head, the three discs form the thorax and three discs associated with the abdomen. And then the single independent disc <coughs> is used to form uh, the genitalia. And then there's other cells that um, 
fill in the gaps and form the body. But this is where the organs of the adult airborne insect come from, is from nine pair of homogenal discs. And so um, when Peter in Second Peter talks about the divine nature, and when um, the scripture reading talks about being raised in incorruption, we're talking about um, the divine nature of Yahweh. Now I took the liberty, I hope no one gets mad at me, to combine two of our charts with this picture in the hopes that you can just see what I'm talking about. And the amazing thing to me, um, and even after all these years in class, I still find it phenomenal, the amount of detail that Yahweh has placed in the physical creation that scientists, many of whom don't even believe in creation or God, um, have determined through experimentation and rigorous review. Now, theosophy plate indicating the nature of Yahweh or pure spirit, divine wisdom. Um, and we have this on the Moses chart. And don't be confused by the fact that <clears throat> See, there are, this is a chart Dr. Kinley commissioned. And so you have intelligence, wisdom, and knowledge correlated here with the head, just as you have, um, and I'll, I'll go back to, I'll read out these details, but as you have these three homogenal disks that form the head of the adult insect. And the adult insect is called an imago, and that's why these are called imaginal disks. And we know that we've borne the image of the earthly and we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And this is the heavenly. And so then you see the attributes of beauty, love and justice, which Yahweh doesn't have, he is. And the fact that these attributes are encircled in the cloud, see these red hearts with a cloud around them, indicate there's no descriptive shape and form in pure spirit. You will never see these attributes in pure spirit, but this is what Yahweh is. And then he organizes his substance and manifests in the superincorporeal form of Elohim. And it's here where we see those attributes organized. And then we know from uh, the Moses chart and what Dr. Kinley's explained about Moses' vision, there's then this tabernacle of the archetype original pattern of the universe, trans figures into the incorporeal vision of the tabernacle that Moses saw uh, in the mountain, which was then um, built and manifest in the wilderness. And so you have three triads of attributes, each related to specific areas of the body, it just and, and you just have an exact replication of that uh, if you account for the left and the right sides, you have three um, triads of three discs each forming the organs of the adult insect. And then just as you have the kingdom going around those attributes in pure spirit, and just as you have Yahweh Elohim is the king of the kingdom, then you have this 10th uh, disc, which forms the genitalia, which is where the um, propagation of the species and the continuance of the species and the life of the species comes from. 
So the entire existence of the fly is encapsulated within the functioning of the reproductive system. Now, uh, the last thing on that is that, um, so here we go. Uh, you have the three discs that will form the head. The humeral wing and halter disc will form the notum, uh, the, the wings and the halters. And then you have the first, second, and third legs. So you have the three groupings of three, and you have the insect organized as the head, the thorax, and the abdomen. Now, the thing um, that caught my attention, and, and we, I don't have time to get it, but um, you know, we talk about how we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We talk about how they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what we find, and this is what I didn't know, is when uh, we saw that little teeny worm emerge from the egg and uh, the imaginal uh, discs have a high rate of, uh, oh, where is it? Here it is. Where do the discs come from? Imaginal discs form as groups of 10 to 50 cells that segregate from the epidermis of the embryo. Now, butterflies may, they have, the males have sperm, the females have eggs. It's a very similar situation to the human, except that the females store the sperm, fertilize multiple eggs, and they uh, carefully lay each of those eggs on a milkweed plant because uh, when that egg hatches, that larva has to begin to eat the milkweed. Now, um, first of all, the imaginal cells have a high rate of proliferation and they can divide up to every 10 hours during the four days of larval life. So you see, it's not just the caterpillar growing big and fat and getting a lot of, of caterpillar substance to uh, fuel the transformation to the butterfly, but it's also the butterfly. See, these marginal discs are formed of butterfly DNA. And so you have butterfly DNA that's not manifest in the fly. It doesn't have butterfly uh, or the, the larva of the caterpillar. It doesn't have um, butterfly eyes. It has caterpillar eyes and so on and so forth. And a caterpillar doesn't have wings, but the cells for those, the DNA of the butterfly is multiplying and growing and being organized. So um, by the time it gets to the end of its life, and this is a fly, a butterfly is a lot bigger. And I'm assuming in a few years, if we're still here, we'll get some of these figures for the butterfly itself. But it went from 50, uh, 50 10 to 50 cells per disc to uh, 50,000 cells for the, the largest of the discs. So you see, there's a multiplication and the, the, this, this larva is growing in grace. It's growing in the substance that it will need to become an adult um, winged insect. Now, uh, like I say, there's no end to the correlations. Um, but here, I, let me just show, uh, we'll end with this. Um, it's just two minutes and then I'll have three minutes to kind of summarize. This is the emergence 
of the, this is the chrysalis after it shucked off its last skin. And you see, you know, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We know not what we shall appear. Everything going on within the imaginal disks in the larva and even within the chrysalis, it's going on within that body. And this, this chrysalis is actually what's left of the body. So it's indicative of the transformation that's going on within us. It's not our bodies that are being developed. It's our hearts and our souls. We're putting on the divine nature. We're adding to our faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge temperance and temperance brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness love. Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. And so as we come into class and we're learning the gospel, you see, that's uh, being organized within us. But it's not the physical knowledge. You see, these imaginal disks were placed within the, ca the caterpillar, the larva, from its conception. It's had this DNA. It's been destined. It's been predetermined to live its life as a corruptible uh, caterpillar, but it's going to emerge into the incorruption of a butterfly. So uh, can you still hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, because I don't think there's any audio for this. So I may talk over this a little bit, but you can see how you can see uh, towards the end, the chrysalis becomes translucent. And then this is what formed within it. But until it emerges, you'd have no idea that such a massive transformation has gone on. And that's what's going on in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. See, we're the, the ability to forgive, the ability to understand. This represents the divine revelation, which is not just an intellectual process. It's the revelation of Yahshua's nature within us. And then coming out of the flesh, we're looking to manifest that which has been taking place within us. And that's shown forth by this butterfly emerging into a brand new existence. And it has very little uh, memory of what uh, of its life as a caterpillar, just as we read in the Bible that it, the former things will not come to mind. But they have found that those in those imaginal discs, as that caterpillar matures, they've actually found in those 50,000 cells, there's actually some neuronic development. There's neurons, which represents um, you know, the spirit or divine attributes. So in summary, uh, we have borne the image of the earthly. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Um, that's in our scripture reading. Uh, can we skip to that? You can find it. 49. And as we have borne the image of okay, the okay, earth. Okay, so I tell you what. Um, 48. Started at 48. 48. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly. So as is the caterpillar, as is the chrysalis, such are they that are in the flesh. And this, trend, this development of the future butterfly, which is developing in substance and in organization within that larva, showing that the Holy Spirit is real and it's spiritual substance that's taking on shape and form 
within us as we live in this flesh, Reed. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So uh, go ahead, read one more. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. Now, Neither I'm out of time, but you have never seen a monarch caterpillar with wings. And that's reserved for the next creation when we'll emerge from this larval stage that we're in. We'll emerge from the corruption of the flesh. We'll emerge from the vicissitudes and the trials and the tribulations of these physical bodies into the glorious liberty of the sons of Yahshua. I hope that made some sense. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Dr. Prestes. And our next speaker this afternoon will be the Dean of our Syracuse class, Dr. Patrick Trevison. Good evening. Um, I have worked with the metamorphosis quite a few times over the years. Uh, I have never worked with it in quite so much detail. Uh, a copy of that article was sent out. Sharon sent a copy out to a lot of different people. I have a copy of it. I hadn't had a chance to read it till today. And I had to go over it a couple times. It's a little polytechnical for me, but I understand the basic principles of what Greg was talking about. I understand those triads of those imaginal disks becoming something in the adult, becoming something in the adult, that there's a transformation that must take place. They must metamorphose. Um, I have an article here with me, which I worked with years ago from 2018. Just a quick little thing that's in National Geographic. And uh, I'm gonna have my wife read, read it because she's right here next to me and the readers aren't. Uh, I'm just gonna refer to certain parts of this. But it shows pictures in here and the, the pictures are very nice. And it's saying the same thing, but it's not saying it in quite as much detail. So I will be going over many of the same things. And I'd like to have the green chart put up there. And yes, specifically the metamorphosis 
And we have to always keep in mind, as Greg said, that these things are pointing to the spirit. These things are pointing out something spiritual. If we go to the beginning of the chart, over on the left-hand side, you have a picture of Yahweh Elohim. And it's got those attributes written on him, intelligence, wisdom, knowledge, love, beauty, justice, foundation, power, strength. Those are the three triads. Those are as it would be, as it were, the imaginal disks. Now he transformed into that tabernacle and then he created the creation. So everything in the creation is a reflection or comes, is made according to that pattern and is a reflection of him. It's a reflection of Yahweh. It's a reflection of spirit. Now we'll go back to the metamorphosis. Now, yes, yes. So it's um, National Geographic in December 2018, page 26, uh, programmed to change. Metamorphosis is a radical change in form and function. Now, metamorphosis is a radical change in form and function. Form and function. Now that's important because if you metamorphose only in form, that's, a, that's entirely different than if you metamorphose in form and function. When we study anatomy and physiology in school, if you study just anatomy, you're studying just the physical part of the body. But when you study physiology, you understand how and why the body works, the way it works, how the systems and the organs and everything all work together. Okay. Frogs and sea urchins metamorphose. Many insects do too, shifting from crawling larva to flying wasp, beetle, or moth. Perhaps the most familiar metamorphosis, the one that's the subject of countless school science projects, is the butterfly's transformation <clears throat> from caterpillar to winged beauty. Yet scientists are only now beginning to grasp what goes on 
inside a chrysalis. New research suggests that the caterpillar does not dissolve into a soup as once thought. No, it, it was once taught that when it went from the larva stage to the pupa stage, that everything inside the larva just dissolved into this soup and then was all rearranged. But their way of thinking on that is changed. It's not the way they're thinking anymore. Again, these imaginal discs come into play. They're part of this. They're in there. They are not dissolving into some soup. Read. Rather, the insect's makeover is a programmed mix of destruction and growth. It's a, it's a programmed mix. It's predetermined, as Greg said, of destruction and growth. Destruction and growth. Read. Certain cells die and body parts atrophy. Meanwhile, other cells in place since birth rapidly expand. It is in, in as little as two weeks, the adult emerges entirely remodeled, capable of flight and bent on finding a mate. Entirely remodeled, capable of flight, a brand new creature. Now, this says, this article says that it's in three stages, which goes by your pattern. And Peggy's gonna read the three stages and what they are. One, activation. A caterpillar eats often. It now Greg quickly. talked about how the caterpillar eats often. It eats that milkweed. It grows and grows and grows. Read. Uh, it eats often and grows quickly. It molts several times, each molt marking a new larval stage until it reaches maturity. Until it reaches maturity. Then its hormones shift, signaling the onset of the chrysalis phase. Now it signals the onset of the chrysalis phase. Its hormones shifted. Hormones. Hormones are in the human body. And when hormones are excreted into your body, they cause an excitement of something. They excite something. They cause the secretion of enzymes all kinds of things that are going on. Go ahead. Two is transformation. Now this is the second phase. Transformation. So you had activation and now you've got transformation. Once it's big enough, a caterpillar finds a safe spot and often attaches itself it, to it with silk. A final moat reveals a shell called the chrysalis. Now there's a chrysalis form. And all of us have seen these chrysalis. I remember Scott 
Miller had one growing in his kitchen. I've ran into many of them painting houses under eaves and all kinds of places where they have, I've been, I'd have to move them and put them in a safe place because I didn't want to paint over them. Read. Uh, let's see. A final moat reveals a shell called the chrysalis. Inside, the insect changes dramatically in preparation. Inside, the insect changes dramatically. When you look at this chrysalis, it looks like nothing. It looks like nothing's going on. It looks like nothing whatsoever is going on. Read. Uh, inside the insect changes dramatically in preparation for adult life. In preparation for adult life. Those changes are taking place. Those imaginal discs are forming various parts of a new creature. This gets into the detail and I'm not gonna read those parts of that article, okay? But Greg covered parts of that. And uh, I'm not gonna pretend that I have the polytechnical expertise that he does. So we're gonna continue to read here. The third stage is emergence. The butterfly sucks in air until its chrysalis breaks open. Now it sucks in air. If you remember correctly, uh, Adam was created from the dust of the earth and he was just a lump of clay. And Yahweh, Elohim, breathed into him the breath of life. Mm -hmm. And every single one of us, when we were birthed, go down lower, Greg, if you would, on the chart. Green go lower. Uh, no, uh, the green chart. That's it, uh, the birth of the baby. Every one of us is in is in the birth chamber, womb. the womb. I couldn't think of the term. And we are surrounded by amniotic fluid. And we are fed through the mother's placenta. We do not breathe in here because if we did, we would drown. But when we are birthed, when we are birthed, those lungs and the heart become attached and the baby takes the first breath of life. Now the doctor doesn't cause that, the husband and wife don't cause that, 
And the baby doesn't cause that. Yahweh causes that. He gives that baby that breath of life. And that's true for the butterfly itself. It breathes in air until the chrysalis opens. Read. The butterfly sucks in air until its chrysalis breaks open. It then flaps its wings for and several hours. And then it hours. then flaps its wings for several hours. For several hours. It's drying its wings out, and those wings are the source of its energy. Its wings collect power from the sun. And that's where it gets its, just like humans now, build solar panels. And it's a, it's a renewable source of energy. They're trying to get uh, to replace fossil fuels. Solar energy. That butterfly's been using solar energy for ages. Read. It then flaps its wings for several hours to dry them and to circulate blood before flying off in search of a mate. Before flying off in search of a mate. Now that's good. And there's pictures in here of a caterpillar born and they don't call it imaginal discs, they call it buds. And they show how these things change in the chrysalis. They take a picture inside the chrysalis. And show legs forming, wing expansion, mouth elongation, and eye exchange. All these things are the result of imaginal discs taking on shape and form in that chrysalis. Before that thing comes out of that chrysalis, a brand new creature. Now that's good for this article. And uh, I would like to go to, um, Psalms 19, and why don't we just start in one? Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of Yahweh, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Now the heavens declare the, declare the glory of Yah, and the firmament shows his handiwork. This is a case. This is an example of the heavens and the firmament showing his handiwork. Read. Day unto day uttereth speech. Day unto day utters speech to us. That butterfly is talking to us. That metamorphosis that takes place is uttering speech to us. 
It's teaching us something about spirit, about what happens. And Greg did, did a, an exhaustive job of lining all that up for you. Read. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. If you're not looking at the creation and seeing how it's teaching you something about your creator, there's no language. There's no language, there's no communication. And you must have communication to exist physically and spiritually. Read. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. He set a tabernacle for the sun. S-O-N. As well as S-U-N. Read. Which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices to like a strong man to run a race. Mm -hmm. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. There is so every, everything in the universe is teaching us something about spirit. If you know how to read it, if someone knows how to explain it to you, the seasons, the solar system, astronomy, zoology, biology, the cytology, the atom, every single thing, the systems in the body. You see in that last plate, it's showing you the nine systems in the body. Why nine systems? Because there are nine attributes back in the beginning. The nine systems, imaginal disks, imaginal disks, think about them, taking, taking a, a shape and form in the womb, in utero, in you taking on shape and form, the same thing is transpiring inside that butterfly. The same thing. And even though it looks like there's no activity, it looks like it's dead. There are incredible changes that are taking place. Incredible changes. When I look at my grapevine in the wintertime, there isn't anything out there in my backyard that looks more dead. It just looks like gray dead sticks. And in the spring, it starts to get tiny, tiny little buds. And the next thing you know, there's little tiny, little tiny round balls that are forming and they're green and 
they're not even as big as peas yet. And as time goes on, the leaves come out and those balls get bigger and they become grapes. So as dead as that grapevine looked, as dead as it looked, and you would swear there's no life in that thing. There was sap in those dead sticks. And you can see the proof of it now with the birth, the emergence of a grapevine, of grapes coming forth. And the sap is going to give those grapes their sweetness. And that sweetness will be manifested when you make them into wine. Now it's the same with those imaginal discs taking on shape and form in that uh, pupil. And in that chrysalis, even though it looks dead, it looks like nothing's going on, incredible changes are taking place. Now read seven, Deb, please. The law of Yahweh is perfect. The law of Yahweh, the law of Yahweh is Yahshua. The law of Yahweh is Yahshua. Oh, I want to get uh, the only begotten son of Yahweh in the bosom of the Father, he had declared him. Is that John one eighteen? Thank you. John, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get it. John, one, and eighteen. No man hath seen the Father at any time. No man the, hath seen Yahweh, the Father, at any time. Read. The only begotten Son, which was in the bosom of the Father, the only he shall. Son, wait, the only begotten Son. The only, only begotten Son, which was in the bosom of the Father. He shall reveal him to us. He shall reveal him to us. He shall reveal him to us. Now, let me see the Moses chart for a moment, please. Now, you see up on top of Mount Sinai, you see, it says that there Yahweh or spirit manifesting within the cloud, symbolizing eternally, eternity, Jerusalem above. And you have a pair of lips and are speaking in that law. That, that speaking in that law, that law is a physical law and it's 
pointing to, it's pointing to a different law, a spiritual law, which is Yahshua, which is in the bosom of the Father. He's in the bosom of that cloud. He's declaring Yahweh unto us. And Yahweh takes on shape and form right within himself as Yahweh Elohim. And Yahweh Elohim and Yahshua are one and the same. They're one and the same. Oh, I have to give you an example of that. Get John, the first chapter, start reading in one, and get Hebrews, the first chapter, and we'll start reading in one. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Yahweh, and now the Word the was Yahweh. In the beginning of the vision that Moses saw, in the beginning, this is John, that Moses saw, was the Word of the purpose. He's seeing Yahshua. In the beginning of the purpose was Yahshua. Do we have, can we have the, oh, dispensations and ages chart, please, just for one moment. Now, says creation abides within Yahweh or eternity, the cloud symbolizing eternity. The cloud symbolizes eternity. Now at the beginning of the purpose, what does it say in the cloud at the beginning of the purpose? It says beginning. Mm -hmm. What does it say at the end? It says ending. That's the beginning and the ending of the purpose. That's the beginning and the ending of the purpose. Now, I have to back that up. Let's go to Revelation, the first chapter, and uh, it's about the eighth or ninth verse. Revelation 1 and 8. I am Alpha and Omega. Now, who is this speaking, Debbie? This is Yahshua. This is Yahshua. And he's saying, I am Alpha and Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. That's like saying, I am A and I am Z. Read. The beginning and the ending. I'm saith, the beginning and the ending. Read. Saith Yahshua, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty. Now go back to John, the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Yahweh. In the beginning, this understand of the purpose was the word, or Yahshua. Read. 
And the word was Yahweh. And the word was Yahweh. He was in the bosom of the Father. Right in the bosom of the Father. Read. The same was in the beginning with Yahweh. All things were made by him. All and things were made by him. Now. Go to Hebrews, first chapter, start reading in one. Hebrews 1 and 1. Yahweh Elohim, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Hath spoken unto us by his Son. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. Who would that be, Deb? Yep, that's Joshua. That's Joshua. Read. By whom also he made the worlds. By whom also he made the worlds. Well, I thought you said Yahweh Elohim made the worlds. Now he's saying he made the worlds by Joshua. How? Oh, it. Is that possible? Because it's not a Trinitarian concept. It's a unity. And Yahweh Elohim and Yahshua are one and the same. Now we did segue to all that. Now we go back to Psalms 19 and 7. Psalms 19.7. The law of Yahweh is perfect. The law of Yahweh is Yahshua. And he is perfect. Now hold that right there. Go to. Uh, oh man. He is the rock. His work is perfect. The uh, 32nd chapter of. Deuteronomy, thank you. Deuteronomy 32 and 4. You could start one, Deb. You could start okay. one. All right. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My doctrine, my my body of principles, my 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 principles, my principles, oh, my imaginal this shall drop as the rain, read. My speech shall distill as the dew. My speech shall distill or purify as the dew. My speech, my gospel will purify like the dew, read. As the small grain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will proclaim the name of Yahweh. I will proclaim the name of Yahweh. Nah, name's not important. Nah, it doesn't matter what you call him. No, it's okay if you call him Lord. I will proclaim the name of Yahweh. Not I will proclaim the name of Kinley. I will proclaim the name of Yahweh. Read. 
Ascribe ye greatness unto our Elohim. He is the rock. His Yahweh Elohim is the rock. Yahshua is the rock. Read. His work is perfect. His work is what, Deb? It's perfect. It's perfect. Go back to Psalms 19.7. The law of Yahweh is perfect. It's perfect. Read. Con converting the soul. The Metamorphosing. Metamorphosing your soul. Your nature. Those attributes taking shape, taking on shape and form in your soul, changing your soul, transforming your soul from an old nature to a new nature. Now, I want to get Ephesians 4th chapter and Ephesians uh, 4, uh, start reading 14 for me, please. Ephesians 4 and 14? Yes. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now look, he's telling, he's admonishing them that you be no longer like children carried here and carried there with every wind of doctrine, with every new juicy thing that comes down the pike. Read. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, by which they lie in wait to deceive. Yeah, there's some fellows out there that lie in wait to deceive you. Read. But speaking in the truth, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. Who is the head, even the Messiah? Even Yahshua, read. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The edifying of itself in love. One of those attributes. You're edifying your, he's edifying us with love, in love, read. This I say therefore, and testify in Yahshua that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So he's telling them, don't walk like other Gentiles walk in the vanity or emptiness or nothingness that's in their mind. That's what's in their mind. 
That's why with the things that are going on in the world today, they're a mess. Read. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of Yahweh through the ignorance that is in them because of through, the through, through ignorance. It's through ignorance. It's through ignorance. Not knowing anything of their creator. Not knowing anything. Read. Because of the blindness of their heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness. To work unto all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned the Messiah. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him. As this is not how we've been taught. This is, the, Paul is admonishing them. This is not how you've been taught. He's pleading with them. He's imploring them. Read. As the truth is in Yahshua. That you put off concerning the former manner of life, the old man. That you put off the former manner of life, the old man, the larva that eats milkweed, the old man, and you read them. Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit and, of your mind and be renewed renewed when i work i'm working on a house right now and there's a lot of preparation on the house it needs scraping it needs sanding it needs priming it needs to have the mildew cleaned off it and then after everything's done, caulking, holes filled, cracks patched, then you paint. Then you paint. And the house, you don't burn the house down and build a new house. You renew that old house. You renew it. You make it look like new. You renew the old. Just like that chrysalis, it's that old that's in there. It's those imaginal discs. It's causing the, that brand new creature to be birthed. It's renewed. It's renewed into the adult. My goodness, I'm telling this is. Read, please. And that you put on the new man, which after Yahweh is created in righteousness and true holiness. And which after Yahweh is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, uh, let's, oh, my. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in the Messiah, 
No, listen, if you are in the Messiah, if you are in the body of Yashu, if you are, I didn't say if you're in the Aitiamar. I said if you are in the body of Yashu, the body of Yashua, if you are in that chrysalis, if you are in that chrysalis, read. He is a new creature. You are a new creature. You are waiting to be birthed a new creature. Look, you're already a new creature. You are already a new creature. Your soul is already being transformed. You have a mortal body with an immortal spirit in it. And we're just waiting for that immortal body to go with that immortal spirit, that immortal glorified body to go with that immortal glorified spirit. Read, you, he is a new creature. Is that what you read? He is a new creature. He Old is, things. He is a new, read. Old things are passed away. Old things are passed away. That Behold. Butterfly, okay. That butterfly that does not walk around on the ground anymore. That butterfly does not eat milkweed anymore. That butterfly is a brand new creature. It flies in the air now. Its power and its wings come from the sun now. Its food is nectar from flowers, from the pollen, from flowers, not milkweed, nectar. It's brand new, brand new, never having existed before. It's nothing like the old creature. And yet it came from the old creature. Just like your soul is being transformed, the brand new soul, the brand new creature came from the old creature, but it had to be transformed. It had the metamorphose. This is, to me, a real pretty topic. Now, please, if we could go to the scripture reading. First Corinthians 15 and 35. Uh, uh, no, I'm, I can't pick it all up, Dev. Hold on. I'm, I'm catching up with you here. Corinthians 15. And uh, pick it up in 50. 
verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. No, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. The larva is not inheriting the kingdom. Read. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Neither does the physical inherit spiritual. Read. Behold, I show you a mystery. Listen, he's showing you a mystery. Read. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed. We shall all undergo a transformation. We shall undergo a transfiguration. We shall all metamorphose into a brand new creature in Yahshua. Read. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, sitting there on a chair, and somebody points to a chart and says something and wham, you're never more the same as you were when you walked in that door. Read. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. We shall be changed, read. This corruption, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption, corruptible, shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. No more death. No more Hold this right here. I got a real, real fast run over there. I think it's Hebrews second chapter. Uh, oh, I don't, the verse, I don't, I'm not sure. 12, 18, something that, you know where it is? Yep, I do. Okay. Okay, so uh, 14. <coughs> John 14. <coughs> Okay, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power, that had the power of death, that is, the adversary. And Yahshua could destroy Satan who had the power of death. Death. Read. And deliver them who through fear of death were. Now, he delivered them who through fear of death. All our lives were, we were afraid because we didn't know what happened when we died. He took that away. He showed us the truth. He showed us life after death. Read. 
who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. They were, we were subject to the bondage of the devil and no longer. We are freed from that. We are liberated from that. Yahshua is salvation from that. Now, go back to the scripture reading and read down to 55, Deb. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Oh, death, where is thy sting? There is no sting anymore. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The grave has no victory. The grave has no victory. We are not afraid of death. We are not afraid to die. Because we know we are in Yahshua the Messiah. And Yahshua is going to take care of everything. He's going to take care of everything. And to put your soul in his hands, you couldn't, you couldn't do a safer thing. With that, I'm going to say thank you for the time. I hope that that uh, edified someone uh, along with the things that Greg brought out and um, made some sense to somebody. And uh, glorified Joshua. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Trevison. We'd like to thank everybody who joined us today in our Zoom class. And we'd also like to thank those who have joined us on YouTube. We hold our Zoom class every Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. At this time, I'd like to ask the class to stay muted until the live stream has ended. We'll now be dismissed by the doxology which is taken from the last two verses of the book of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. Let us all say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah.